You're listening to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jared Smith. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jared Smith. Each episode, it's my job to engage with some of the brightest minds in higher ed in the broader world of marketing to bring you actionable insights you can use to level up your school's marketing and enrollment efforts. In this episode, we'll be talking with Jeff Calais, Principal at Render Experiences. Jeff's innovative work on campus visits has been featured on the cover of the Chronicle of Higher Education, in the National Section of the New York Times, and in other leading publications like University Business Magazine and Inside Higher Ed. Jeff is a popular speaker at conferences and workshops around the country and has become a respected authority on the emerging experience economy and the all-important campus visit experience. We really covered a lot of territory in our conversation, starting with some of the high-level frameworks that underpin his work and then digging into some of the specific tactical details that can make a really big difference in your campus visits. Among many other things, we talk about important generational differences that every admissions leader and tour guide should understand. We talk about why covering up your school's imperfections is a mistake and why you should never, ever let your tour guides walk backwards and talk at the same time. Towards the end, we even talk about what to do when you experience bad behavior from parents on tours. This was a really fun and interesting conversation that I think will have lots of useful takeaways for anyone concerned with campus visits. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeff Calais. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hey, it is an honor to be here. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, I can't wait to dig into all the knowledge you have on campus experiences and the campus visit and tour and all that good stuff. Before we get there, I'd love it if you just tell us a little bit about kind of your personal story. What's your background? How did you end up working in the higher ed space? And I guess specifically, how did kind of the campus tour kind of become your area of focus? Okay. And this podcast is how long? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> hey, I have the greatest job on earth. I say that all the time and that, I mean, people pay me to tour college campuses. The short story is I'm a first-generation college grad. My grandparents immigrated from Eastern Europe to Pittsburgh, Steel City, and all the men in my family worked in the United States steel mills, and I did not want to do that. And my parents were really good about always getting us on college campuses for a reason, for a culture event, for a sporting event. We moved to Florida and high school and was down there in junior high, and I went to a small evangelical liberal arts college, small at the time, in uh, the early 80s, fall of 1982, and graduated from there in 1986 and was an ambassador. And they got a new president, and he hired me to be an admissions counselor after I graduated. And it was an awesome experience. This was, you know, challenging times as they are now, declining enrollment. And it was a dynamic leader, and it was Lee College at the time, now Lee University one of the top five largest Christian universities. So I I worked in missions. I did everything. My first business card, I joke, had a a toll number and a mailing address. I'll say that to ambassadors and (laughs) you have no idea what either of those two things are. (laughs) Did you have a beeper? (laughs) In the 90s, I did in my agency years. Yeah. Yeah. But in the late 80s, working on a college campus. No, and I did everything. like produced few books, produced recruitment videos, gave tours. Did all that, moved to Atlanta in the 1990s and got into advertising, traditional 
agencies on both B2B and B2C, and I missed higher ed. So a freelance writer connected me with an agency in Atlanta called MindPower. It does a lot of higher ed branding and was the new business guy there. And realized no one was talking about the campus visit. And I had read The Experience Economy, and it gave a blueprint to the art and science of staging experiences. And so just kind of as a mean of new business, I'd call people up, a vice president enrollment, a dean, and say, hey, I'm going to be in your city. Let me take a campus tour, give you some uh, input, take you to lunch. And that led to the notion that people wanted full-time thought on their campus visit. So I met Trent Gilbert and Brian Niles. Brian Niles is the co-founder of TargetX, a big CRM company now in higher ed. And Trent Gilbert, I met them both at a, a Southern Association for College Admissions Counseling meeting. And Trent was running the campus visit at Elon. And we got together, wrote a campus visit plan, floated it to some folks. Brian Niles was one of them. And he said, come do that with us. So in 2006, we started Target X Campus Visit Consulting and had a lot of fun. And um, I think we had to do two things. We had to build both the importance of the campus visit, but we also had to build a campus visit industry of sorts along the way, right? We had to raise the profile of the campus visit to get people to pay for our services. Yeah. So 250 clients later, here it is 2019 and I'm chatting with you on a podcast. <laughs> that is the long story of my journey. <laughs> Good stuff. Hey, so you mentioned the the experience economy, the yes. the book. It's an HBR article folks can go out and read. That is as I understand it kind of a core concept to how you think of the campus experience. Can you tell us what are sort of the key tenants? What does that framework look like and how do you kind of apply it in the the campus experience context? Right. So you figure the experience economy was published first in 1999, right? So a while back, right? And I think what it did is it, Pine and Gilmore gave a framework that it said, America's economy evolves from an agrarian to industrial to service and information to one that is now experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And that is a cliche word. People don't want stuff. They want experiences. You know, Adweek has the experiential awards that they're, that Everyone's hopped on the experience economy. I mean, I think on the big end, it's not what you do or say, but how you make people feel. Ultimately, if you're truly in the experience economy, you really don't have the need for advertising and marketing mm -hmm. because the experience is the marketing. So what Planning Gilmore did is they really outlined the tenets that make up for great experiences, right? It's an integration of what we call the four E's, aesthetic and as in a sense of place and how it looks entertainment, escape, and education. All experiences fit into those four. And if you think about a traditional college campus, residential experience, that's the experience economy, right? I'm going to escape my parents' home, reinvent myself. I'm going to go to a pretty campus. I'm going to get an education and I'm going to have some fun along the way. So, you know, sensory engagement, emotional engagement, memorabilia, all these things are tenants. And what we try to do is find the DNA of that student experience and those best fit students and then translate that into an authentic campus visit experience that connects with best fit students. Mm -hmm. So we're not about telling someone to build a monorail, you know, for gee whiz factor. We're about trying to reveal that which is authentic and real. Yeah, because authenticity is actually Pine and Gilmore's second book, which is somewhat of a follow-up that is actually more impactful and important to me than the experience economy. Yeah, 
I definitely want to dig in later on in the conversation to some interesting ways you've seen schools, you know, sort of render that authenticity in their campus experience. That's actually where our name comes from. Oh, nice. Is render authenticity. Yeah. In 2006, I won an award from Pine and Gilmore for integrating their, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I had said, you know, our goal is to get schools to render authenticity. And Jim was like, oh, did you hear render off? So that's kind of the story behind the name. Nice. So we're kind of seeing that things like virtual tours, mm-hmm. information on the college campus, uh, you know, is available on YouTube and you can go see videos. Maybe a student is, is posted about their dorm, I guess, kind of in that world. Why do you think the campus visit, the tour still is relevant today? Do you see that changing down the road? What's your take on that? No, I always get asked this question. I'm intrigued. You know, people still recruit people, mm-hmm. right? Still, even in as we keep adding in more touch points and more communication points, if you're going away to college, particularly if you're going away to a traditional residential college or university, or if you are going to a place-based education setting, seeing that place in its reality matters, right? And so I think the campus visit matters all the more because of distractions and because there is so much content online that mm-hmm. filtering it through, we have heard parents say we're defaulting to the campus visit because there is so much stuff out there, right? Right. So, I mean, a virtual visit's great, particularly for international students, I think for setting the tone, but you want to see on Maslow's low, you know, basic needs. Where am I going to sleep? Where am I going to eat? Who are the people that I'll be part of a community with? Mm -hmm. And you have to go see that in person, right? Yeah. It's an intimate product choice going away to college. Yeah. An extended hotel stay. You sleep there, you eat there, you get sick there, you get naked there. You might get naked with other people there. Right. It's more than just the classroom experience. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of interesting that you said there's this kind of trend of, yeah, we can find out a lot of information online, but it's overwhelming. It's hard to make heads or tails of it. So we just want to talk to somebody. It it reminds me of something that Jay Bear, I don't know if you're familiar with the social media guru, Jay Bear, but I saw him speak one time and he said, my generation, he was referring to himself. He's a, a Gen Xer. He said, we got on social media and we started tweeting about what we were having for breakfast and sharing everything online. He's like, and if you look at the social media behavior of up and coming generations, they're stepping away from that. They're withdrawing into platforms where, you know, the communication is ephemeral, like Snapchat. We've got this smaller group, maybe one-to-one communication. It's kind of like they dialed it up. And wow, look what we can do. We can share everything. And now it's like, okay, time to rein this back in. And so it's just kind of a connection that was made in my mind when you brought up that point that this is why the campus tour is still valuable. Yeah. Good luck getting screen time with Gen Z, right? I think these devices that are supposed to connect us are disconnecting us from each other and from our own humanity. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there is a craving in us to be with people, to It's part of being human, right? To gather and be with people. And a campus visit does that in some form or fashion. Yeah. It's real. We've kind of hit on this a little bit, but we've been dancing around a little bit generational differences. And I'm just curious. I know this is a topic 
that you talk a lot about and have some deep thinking on. And I'm just kind of curious <laughs> what you might have to say on that topic, you know, baby boomers versus Gen X versus millennials versus Gen Z. And, and maybe within the context of the campus visit, how maybe college marketers need to be thinking differently, particularly with this up and coming generation. Yeah. Render has borrowed significantly from Pine and Gilmore, right? Who are good friends of ours. And when I was at Target X, early on, Target X was talking about millennials, right as soon as Howard Strauss named them and, and wrote that book. I think generations can be overhyped and can be cliche, but all a generation is, is a cohort that has a shared history. That's all it is, right? Gender, race, where you're born who your parents are, their level of education, all of those things impact everyone's, you know, American destiny. But there is a, there's just a shared cohort that shares history. That's it, right? Mm -hmm. I am a Howard Strauss purist, right? The guys that wrote the book on American generations, the guys that name millennials, millennials. I'm also a bitter Gen Xer. (laughs) I was born on the boomer Xer cusp. When I talk about generations, I show this family photo. That explains my family quite a bit in 1965. And I have an older brother who's four years older, and we were born on that boomer X or cusp. And he kind of took on the idolist baby boomer, and I took on the reactive kind of bitter Gen Xer. You know, I, I just listened to Lithium on, you know, Sirius XM. And I saw on your, your website your post about where can you wear Doc Martens and a yeah. <laughs> No Fear t shirt at the same time, Portland. <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> The 90s are still alive, right? <laughs> so if you break Hound Styles down very quickly, if, if listeners aren't familiar, what they basically say, there's a repetitive pattern in American history that we inevitably become our parents, right? It's that, that scene in The Breakfast Club when they're talking about it. And as much as we fight it, we just become our parents. So what they say is that there are cycles that are anchored around a historical moment, the revolution, the civil war the great power America's rise to global preeminence, and then the millennium, right? In each of those cycles, you lead off with an idealist generation, then a reactive generation, then a civic generation, and then an adaptive generation, and then it turns, right? So baby boomers are the idealist, Gen X is the reactive, millennials are the civic, and Gen Z is the adaptive. And we're about to have a turn and usher in a new cycle. Right. So predominantly, idolists birth, civics, civics birth, idolists, reactives birth, adaptives, adaptives birth, reactives rinse and repeat. And what you have is you have two larger generations in a cohort in boomers and millennials, and then two tinier ones, right? So everyone's scrambling for traditional high school graduates that are on the decline, right? So circle this back around. Long story short is, you know, 62 million Gen Xers, 72 million baby boomers. And because of immigration, millennials continue to grow, right? Like they're 86 million now. So you have less people in Gen X having less kids. And that's why everyone's in a panic. Mm -hmm. And that's why everyone's numbers are on the decline. Less high school graduates, more colleges and universities or not, right? Competing for them. Mm -hmm. So in the visit... Baby boomers came at us in mass, right? And changing the way they changed everything in America. And they started having kids in the early 80s. And those kids started graduating from college. And in the 2000, that's why we call them millennials. And every year, Jared, there was more high school graduates than the year before in the early aughts, right? And it was a great time to be in admissions. So 
boomers and their best friend millennials came at colleges in mass and no one was prepared for them. Admissions offices were paper processing, you know, applications in basements of admin buildings. And all of a sudden they had to step up and become visit centers and welcome centers. I think it kind of changed, but it was more of an in mass kind of way. Everyone sat down in a lecture hall of a hundred people. You had a 45 minute to an hour and a half information session. And then you went out on tour and you saw everything, right? Mm-hmm. That no longer works with Generation X and Gen Z, right? In the world of mass customization and mass personalization, we want what we want when we want it. So we are having to educate our clients on this new audience that has a completely different set of wants and needs and behaves completely different than parents and prospective students of even five years ago. Right, So Gen Z was whacked by the recession. They are just the most fiscally and fiduciary and budget-oriented. Right, they, they ask questions about costs. They ask questions about student indebtedness. Right, Gen X is not trust institutions because all those institutions in the upheaval of the 70s bailed on us and failed on us and we raised ourselves. So we think we can go around institutions. Mm-hmm. And to that end, we witness really bad Gen X parent behavior on campus tours, simply because they're not being recognized when they really are driving this decision. And they are obsessed with safety. They are obsessed because they don't trust institutions. They really want to see the lower end of Mouse hierarchy. Where is my son or daughter going to sleep? Where are they going to eat? What is safety? Mm-hmm. What is health care? Where is counseling? right? Boomers were just, ooh, look at the new bright, shiny rock climbing wall, right? Right. The amenities. Look at the school building these amenities for my special millennials, where now we tell our clients, services are the new amenities. Mm -hmm. Advising, counseling, career counseling, the facilitation of internships. Those are the things that parents want to see and know about. And then you pair this with the Gen Z student that's saying, okay, you're asking me to plunk down a large chunk of change on an education. What does this get me? Yeah. This has got to be worth it in the long run. How much does it cost and what do I get for it? Yeah. So you end up with this much more practical kind of mindset, it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because idealistic baby boomers wanted to know how you were going to make Caitlin with a C, Caitlin with a K, Caitlin, two words. (laughs) I stole it from The Simpsons. How you're going to make them all the more special, right? Mm-hmm. How are you going to make my high school musical We're All in This Together offspring all the more special? And I think they were willing to finance it, right? And Gen X and Gen Z, yeah, they expect the transformation, but outcomes really do matter. Right. And they will pay for it for schools that will prove outcomes. Yeah. It's so interesting what you said about this is a generation that remembers the recession They've seen it firsthand. They've watched their parents struggle with debt. You know, I came across a stat, I think it was the American Association of Realtors, and it said, you know, Gen Z watched their parents struggle with debt, and the overwhelming majority of home buyers report delaying their home purchase because of student loan debt. Right. Kind of tying all that together. All right. Let's kind of dive down into on the ground reality for the campus visit, that campus experience. For prospective students, maybe a good starting place would be what is kind of the typical quote unquote campus visit and what are folks routinely getting wrong on that visit experience? 
Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> like, where do I start? Yeah, right. I think it is still that information session mm-hmm. or meeting with, if you're a smaller private laboratory college, a meeting with admissions and interview, and I'm making air quotes. Mm-hmm. We hate that word when they're non-evaluative. We hate when our clients use that word because it's not real and it's not authentic and it freaks the students out. It just adds to their anxiety. So I think you still have this, this form of an information. Here's who we are. Here's what we do. Here's how much we cost. Here's how you get in. Here's how you, we help you pay for it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you're divided. However, either by cattle or in advance and sent out with a tour guide. And I think that most schools, what do they do? Most colleges are really guilty of being very selfish. Mm-hmm. And it's not about their guest. It's about showing off their brand new buildings, their best buildings, hiding buildings that aren't. And I think doing a death march through the whole campus and taking everyone into this new science building built on the end of campus, whether they're interested in the sciences or not, right? Because somehow you're going to walk in the space and want to come to school because it's brand new, even though, you know, you're a theater major. Right. It's still the way it was 10 years ago overall. Mm-hmm. I think we've challenged what are the sins? So many. Where is the link to visit on your website? Starting with that, right? Mm-hmm. It should be above the fold on every page. So if I see you have a major, I see you have a sport, don't make me think where to click visit, right? Mm-hmm. I think that it's still vague in how people promote the visit and they don't manage the expectations. Uh, there's never enough parking. Most welcome centers need an update. Most colleges and universities hire rock star students who are super busy while they are a great outcome and and I hate to say product of that school, that doesn't mean they're a great ambassador or tour guide just because they're involved in so much. Yeah, I saw that in one of your posts, and I thought that was just such an interesting point, how tempting it is to sort of take that rock star student and say, this is our ambassador. But like I think you said in the post, does the president of SGA have time to attend campus theater events? And all of that's a great point. Right. And because they are rock stars, there tends to be a bit of, I don't want to say attitude or arrogance, but it can be a bit selfish, right? Mm-hmm. I will tell you, nursing majors make great ambassadors because they're nurturing and they care and they care about their audience and their guests and they ask really good questions and they listen really well mm-hmm. and they're not always talking at so. And then there's still the walking backwards that we've been fighting since we've been doing this. And Okay, okay. I want to talk about that a little bit because everybody does it. What are you supposed to do instead? And so just so our listeners understand, the student ambassador, the tour guide, walking backwards, talking at the same time, trying not to trip over something. What is the better alternative? Right. So let me answer this in two parts. We are against walking backwards for a myriad of reasons. It slows down the tour. Mm-hmm. It forces the ambassador to talk the whole time, which is not a good thing. And it is really stressful on the participants, particularly moms. Like we have been on tours where moms have said to the tour guide, please don't walk backwards <laughs> because I'm really worried you're going to trip and fall. You're going to get hit by, you know, a car, what you're going to step out and off a curb. And you read any of the mainstream press or higher ed press about the campus visit, and they all 
open up with that cliche walking backwards. Mm -hmm. If walking backwards is a point of pride for your ambassadors, and that's what you want families to remember after they get in the car is how well your tour guides walk backwards. I am not going to fight that culture. (laughs) So what do great tour guides do? And we've seen this at a number of locations, right? I mean, ultimately, a tour guide should be set up to succeed. And that means that the tour should never be larger than the student-to-teacher ratio. Hmm. That's our magic number. So if you have a 17-to-1 student-teacher ratio, you should invest in making sure your tour guides never go out with more than that. So what do great tour guides do? They set the expectations quite well. They introduce themselves, they explain the route, the amount of time, and they say, I'm not going to walk backwards. I'm going to walk with you. I might call on some of you dads to lead and direct us, right? I will gather you up. I will talk in mass. And then my goal is to chat with each of you. So have those questions that you'd like to ask me one-on-one. Mm-hmm. It's a skill and it's not easy. Guys that do it, Guides that have become masters of it on our campuses where we've had to shift the walking backwards culture, you know, they'll email us, they'll come up to us when we're back on campus and they're like, oh my gosh, I can never go back to walking backwards. Yeah. Do you walk across campus backwards with your friends? (laughs) No, you walk with them. All it does is it puts all the attention on the tour guide. When you want your families to immerse in it, you want to allow them time to process what they've said, what a tour guide has said, and you want them to look around the campus Mm -hmm. and look at the students and immerse themselves in that setting. And that's why we also train ambassadors. Silence is golden. Do not talk the whole time. Yeah. So kind of building on that a little bit, I know you're a big proponent of stories over statistics, like going back to that student to teacher ratio. Don't just say, hey, our ratio is six to one, because the real question is behind that is like, okay, but what does that mean for my experience? What does that mean for you? Right? Yeah. Right. So me going to a small liberal arts college that I think maybe had a 10 to one or 11 to one, the stories I told were, okay, one, when you have a class with five people, your junior, senior year, you better be prepared Mm -hmm. because you're going to get called on. Right. And if you happen to cut class that day, there's a good chance you're going to walk across the quad and see that professor whose class you got. Right. Yeah. Forget the amount of support that they're there. It is those kind of stories. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think to that point, we're also this is a sidebar. We're encouraging our clients to share also their faculty and staff ratio to students. Yeah. Because if you think back to your own college. It's not always just faculty that are impacting lives. Mm-hmm. It could be that admin assistant that is really the surrogate aunt or mom to a first-year student worker. Mm-hmm. We hear phenomenal stories of custodial staff that are legendary on these campuses. And I can take you to a host of schools where you know the dining hall, the food, there are legendary staff members there that alumni come back to get a hug from, right? So I think it's those type of things. This is why, you know, the most frequently asked question is, is how safe is it? Do you feel safe, right? Mm -hmm. And what we try to empower ambassadors to do is to tell the story of who on this campus has my back. 
Mm-hmm. If something goes wrong in my world and our culture of fear, who has my back? So tell that story. Stories render authenticity. The author Clyde Barker said, I am a man and men are animals who tell stories. We overwhelm families with stats. And I can guarantee you, they do not get in their car after a tour and say, ooh, 3,000 volumes in the library. Sign me up. <laughs> the stories are an interesting way to kind of show that authenticity. So kind of along that topic, talk to me about some other ways that maybe some interesting or unconventional ways you've seen schools introduce that element of authenticity, really showing who they are, you know, warts and all to prospective students. I think we're beginning to see schools offer student panels just for students during not just events, but during the daily visit. We have a philosophy at Render that it all goes down in the dining hall. Mm -hmm. If you really want to learn about a campus, visit the student center in the food court during the lunch rush or go in the dining hall during the lunch rush. Mm -hmm. And you will not only get a taste of the campus, but you will see the dynamic go down right? Is this a clicky campus? Is this a campus where we're just consuming food transactionally? Or is this a place where people are hanging out and talking? And what's the noise level? And so a lot of our smaller private schools have been really diligent to include lunch in their dining hall, either before the afternoon tour or at the end of a morning tour. It fires on so many levels, right? Back to Maslow, but then also seeing the culture of a place. Yeah. We have a lot of our clients that, you know, really truly do listen to us and proudly show that first year housing that isn't the new brand new apartment that you're not going to get till your junior year, right? They have really owned a 1960s Cold War bunker And the tour guides, I think, are being really authentic and saying, look, I know 86% of you have never shared a room with a sibling. This is freaking you out. But by the end of your freshman year, trust me, it'll be the greatest experience you've ever had, right? Mm -hmm. Open doors make friends, right? Communal bathrooms. We have asked tens of thousands of tour guides, if you could do your freshman year over and have a private room with a private bath, how many of you would? 99% of their hands stayed out. Yeah. Right. So a lot of schools have built fancy housing with private rooms and doors close, right? The doors close into the suite and then my private room. And then they have retention issues in these housing feels like mausoleums, right? Mm -hmm. If you go to most college campuses, the oldest, nastiest residence hall, usually when we challenge our clients to pull the data, has the highest retention and the most engaged student body. Interesting. So showing the reality of the situation and not apologizing for it Mm -hmm. or taking that perceived negative cue like an old residence hall and explaining how it will be a great experience for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about some of those, the sins of the campus tour. Can we maybe flip that, talk about the other side of the coin? What, to your mind, is kind of the best-in-class tour, visit, campus experience? What are sort of the core elements there? You mentioned things like customization. I would love to talk about that. And and I imagine it could look quite different from school to school. It does, yeah. But even that is an interesting point. There is no necessarily one template that just generically applies for everybody. No. 
we are moving a lot of our clients to what we call an agile tour mm -hmm. or a nugget tour. And there are so many examples of our clients that are doing this and having success with it and having better evaluations, right? So instead of taking the families through this half hour, 45 minute info session, and then a 90 minute death march, take that same amount of time and divide it up into digestible nuggets, particularly schools that are fortunate to have a welcome center and a center place that they can do that, right? So where I live here in Tacoma, Washington, our client, the University of Puget Sound, gorgeous campus, and they are doing this really well. They'll start off in the information room explaining how the tour is going to work. They've told you this. They'll do the quick facts to get that out of the way. And then a sophomore usually or a junior comes in and immediately you're divided up into small groups and you're taken to the social side of campus, into the dining hall, coffee houses, bookstore, freshman residence hall, where an actual freshman is hosting, right? So the tour is turned over and an actual freshman, not a junior or senior that lived there three years ago, is telling their story, right? Then you see an upperclassman housing, then you see recreation. So you've done that, right? That common shared experience. Then it's back to the admissions office for a bio break and a beverage break. And then you sit back down in the information room for about 10 to 15 minutes and you're introduced to their version of the liberal arts. Mm -hmm. Then a junior or senior comes in, right? Because if I don't like my tour guide for 90 minutes, I'm judging the whole school based upon that tour guide, right? So our philosophy is the more ambassadors and the more students we can put in front of a student, right? Brands or mirrors, we purchase based upon conforming self-image. So then a junior or senior that's probably done an internship, studied abroad, takes you through the library, through their science complex, through their liberal arts complex, sits you down in the classroom. Then you go back and then, then you sit back down for 10 minutes. This is how you get in and this is how you pay for it. Mm -hmm. Same amount of time broken up into digestible nuggets. Yeah, super interesting approach. And I see how you're kind of, creating a natural flow that gives people time to think, especially when you don't have the backwards walking tour guide, they have a little bit of time to themselves. I think it's such an interesting point of if I don't identify with my tour guide, then I am going to just transfer that and assume that's my impression of the school. It's such an interesting point. Absolutely. So imagine if you have a lobby host, right? Or a parking lot reader and you're chatting with them and then mm -hmm. you have the student life walker and then you have the academic walker, right? You're being, you know, exposed to four or five students. So I think that's what we've done with a lot of our smaller privates. Mm -hmm. On the bigger publics, I think what we've been able to do with particularly some flagships and that is, I have some clients implementing it now is really defer the, the mass customization and the personalization to the college or school. Mm -hmm. So you do the general undergrad tour of housing, you know, food, student rec center, wellness in the new term that it is, since wellness is the new luxury in our world. And then you go to the college or school that you're most likely to study in. And either admissions is managing that experience or they've turned it over to an ambassador core, to a recruiter in that college or school, to the associate dean, mm -hmm. and they're doing a deeper dive. So that's usually kind of the way to, in Ohio State, early on, set that trend for a flagship big public. 
the thing I always have to remind everyone is ultimately the experience economy is about getting a premium price and why a residential college experience is a premium price. You can't charge for the experience to see it, right? In your campus store before you're part of the community. So there are limitations for not-for-profits. You know, they don't have the resources of Disney. Mm -hmm. Here's the other thing we're doing. For 40 years, higher ed was student-focused, 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 right? Privacy Act. And now, with Gen Z parents being, you know, overly protective, for a while, parents are treated on tours like they don't exist, right? They're not acknowledged by the admission staff. Mm -hmm. The tour guide says, and I need all the students to say their name, hometown, and what they want to major in, which they're asked 95,000 times on a tour. And so now we're having to really train ambassadors and staff that, you know, you have to acknowledge the family. You have to make sure and say, and who you brought with you. And Gen Z has a hard time just verbalizing. So one of our schools, we were like, you know, when they check in, say someone from your group is going to introduce the group at the start of the tour, figure out who that is. I will guarantee you at that school, it's going to be the moms 99% of the time. Super interesting. <laughs> Gen X parents are really aggressive and they, their whole life, they've been pulling baby boomers and they're going on college campuses where we built all these amenities and facilities for baby boomers, offspring, millennials. And, you know, there are some private schools over $70,000. Mm -hmm. And Gen X parents are like, oh, great, I got to pay for this now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you even mentioned, if I heard you correctly, I mean, you've seen a good bit of sort of quote unquote bad behavior. Oh. Elaborate, please. <laughs> so we call boomer parents helicopter parents because they nicely hovered. Extreme ones, Blackhawks. So at the 2006 National Association for College Admission Counseling, Howe and Strauss spoke and they said, get ready for the Gen X stealth parent. And I'm like, I don't have time to deal with that. I'm still dealing with these baby boomers. And I was on a client tour and we were by fraternity row and tour guide said, okay, you got questions about Greek life. And the mom in the back, not asking the question the whole time, raised her hand and says, uh, hi, we're from New Jersey and we hear there's a cocaine problem campus in front of 30 other people on a tour. Wow. That's mild compared to what other schools did you apply to? What other schools did you get into? What were your test scores? What was your high school GPA? Mm -hmm. How much money did they give you? Mm -hmm. I've actually seen a parent at a parent panel with 200 people stand up and look at the student on the panel and say, tell me exactly how you and your family pay to go to school here in front of a whole crowd. Wow. And the problem is admissions leaders and campus visit professionals say to a family getting ready to go on tour, and here's our student ambassadors, ask them any questions you want. Oh, no, 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 no. We have to start putting, because when a Gen X parent sees uncivil or uncool behavior go unchecked at one campus, they will take that with them to the next campus mm -hmm. and behave badly. Yeah. Where do students have sex on a campus? Who did you vote for in this election? I mean, just. Wow. Oh. Uh. <laughs> you know, I really want a tour guide when asked, and how much money did they give you? Say, well, why don't you tell me what your net worth is? As part of the training of student ambassadors, are they being coached a bit on how to sort of deflect those questions, I would assume? And we are beyond the point of deflection with Gen X. 
we do a three-hour workshop called Steps of Being Memorable, and we do a fair amount of, okay, it's not you, it's them. Mm -hmm. We really explain the generational thing. And the students are like, oh, I get it. Okay. I think what we empower them to do is, because you got to remember, tour guide doesn't want to get it wrong. They don't want to offend. But we really do empower them to say, I'm not comfortable with that question. Yeah. We train them to set the tone for the tour they want to give. Mm -hmm. So one of our guides that we train at the University of Washington, she's dealing with big groups there, right? And she jumps up on walls and she makes everyone raise their hand and take the Anna Tour Guide Pledge Tour. And I'm going to ask questions about this and I'm not going to ask me questions about my financial aid and my desk, you know, because that's not cool. And we're all going to chat. So she's setting the tone. So for us, it's not even deflection. It's standing up to these rude parents confidently. Mm -hmm. Such an interesting topic. That probably deserves its own podcast (laughs) episode right there. I would happily have the (laughs) idealist boomers out there versus the behavior from my generation. Totally uncool. Yeah, I'm very disappointed in my generation on campus tours. And here's the other thing we've learned with Gen X parents. They don't like each other, right? I mean, truly, like, go to Ferris Bueller. We all put ourselves into cliques. You know, he, the dweebs, the stoners, the jocks, <laughs> right? I mean, it, that was the little click yep. thing. And I think we're still in those little cliques. Like, we've seen Gen X parents walk off of tours because they didn't like the other parents on the tour or make, you know, under their breath comments as we're just sitting there eavesdropping and taking it all in. So I love my generation, but man, that's someone's child that you're being really uncool to. And, you know, ask the right question to the right person. Yeah. I'm on a soapbox about that, but. No, it's good stuff. It's really interesting. I'm honestly kind of shocked at the bad behavior thing. That's really shocking to me that you would ask those kinds of questions of, as you said, somebody's kid, you're talking to a 19 year old, ask the person that's getting paid to do this sort of thing, you know? Exactly. I love topics like this where you've got kind of a conceptual framework, you know, like the experience economy framework and that, but in these generational differences is somewhat abstract, but you're able to draw a line to, okay, but tactically, this is what it means on the ground in real terms. Right. Being able to kind of show those steps to me is super interesting. We don't want the campus visit to be better. We want it to be better towards institutional and enrollment goals. It is strategic and tactical to that end game. Yeah. Not just to make it better, but the ideation towards that end game. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff, this has been a really really fun conversation. I've just rambled on. No, but it's, I love it. (laughs) So that's a good thing. If folks want to learn more about this topic, dig in. Sure. They're, they're intrigued by some of the things you're saying, or they just want to reach out to you directly. What are the best places to do that? How can they dig in, find out more? Our website is the central place for it all. Renderexperiences.com. Our website is our sales brochure. It explains who we are and what we do for our clients, our resources that we create, our podcast, our blog, and our newsletter is really our thinking Mm -hmm. on the matter. And all of that is found on the homepage at renderexperiences.com and contact information and all that. So that's the best place to find it all. Awesome. 
Jeff, this has been a fun conversation. Thank you so much for being here, sharing your collected wisdom over the years. <laughs> Good, bad, and ugly. <laughs> I'm just a bitter old Gen Xer, <laughs> as the render team calls me. <laughs> but you're rendering your authenticity. Yes, I am at 56. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. Good stuff. Thank you so much. This is great. Uh, really fun conversation. Hey, thanks for having me. The Higher Ed Marketing Lab is produced by Echo Delta, a full-service marketing firm dedicated to helping higher education institutions drive enrollment, increase yield, and capture donors' attention. For more information, visit echodelta.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. And as always, if you have questions, suggestions, episode ideas, or just want to reach out and say hi, drop us a line at podcast at echodelta.co. See you next time.